Stephanie Martinez Rivera, and you are listening to the Joy Found Here podcast. I am obsessed with reminding my fellow mamas, queens, badass babes, ladies and girls that perfection is just a word, not a lifestyle. Multitasking is overrated. Comparison is a theft of happiness. And yes, you can put yourself first. Oh, and by the way, for optimum results, you should. I'm a New York girl from a small town, part-time badass, proud mama bear times three. I've seen 60 full turns of the sun. I've learned the importance of how kindness begins with you and your self-talk. Join us each week as we help you navigate both the messy and the magical season of this crazy ride called life. Real stories that remind us to reclaim your power. The sun does come out after the shitstorm. A good cry can be cleansing and We really don't know who sits on top of the mountain of judgment. Sit back, plug in, fill up your cup. This is your time. Remember, you've always had the power. Welcome to Joy Found Here. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Joy Found Here podcast. So where do I begin? Usually I'll be like, oh, this is someone that you're really going to enjoy. Of course you're going to enjoy and funny, haha! It's another author. I know what. It, what's with me and authors? It's like if I surround myself with enough of them, hopefully one day my book comes out. However, today we talk with Jennifer Lysett. Yes, she is a novelist. Why do I want to talk to her? Not identified by that because that's certainly what not what she started out doing, and she is an award winning essayist. I love I love how that's presented like that. Oh, I'm sorry, rural physician. So big, big guns here, guys. I have with us in our company, a doctor and, and a wife and a mother and, and all of this. And she wrote a book and again, not identified just by what she happens to be doing to make a living. She is going after something that is a little fire burning inside. So we're going to find out what makes it happen and how with everything else where we think we're busy and this woman has found some time to do some things. So with that, I say thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you. All right. So hot seat. We always start with tell us about you anywhere you'd like to start. Okay. Well, um, as you mentioned, so I'm a physician who now in my forties has found myself to be an author, which was something I guess I had inside of me, but I didn't actually know it was there (laughs) until I I was in my forties. I live and work in rural Oregon where I am hematologist oncologist as my day job, which means um, basically- Yeah, it just means I'm a specialist in um, blood diseases and cancer medicine. And Mm -hmm. I started writing, oh gosh, I want to say maybe about seven years now, um, really more in the field of personal essays and narrative medicine essays. And when I look back on it now, I realize what I was probably doing was just kind of trying to like rediscover my humanity Mm -hmm. and did that through writing. And then 
a few years back, I also, I can't tell you like it was a single moment, but I started getting this idea for fiction and out of really not knowing any better and knowing how much work it would be. <laughs> just like it's like, always it's always the way and thank god ignorance yeah. is bliss and thank god for that or else no one would really start anything it is true it is very true like from first draft to publication was really a six-year journey and i think if i had known that at the beginning i don't think i would have said yeah i have I you mean, know yeah. time yeah. <laughs> to devote six years of my life to <laughs> But writing for me has also just been, I mean, it's really been a personal journey where I've discovered so much about myself and mm. I really wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't trade that. So I guess that's way of a little bit of introduction. Yeah, I like it. So you have a, a medical career and it's something that took a while to get. Just curiosity, you're like how many years of schooling until, and I don't even know if the words until you're done, air quote, even makes sense for someone in the medical field because of the different levels you have to achieve and who defines you're done. Does that mean you have an income producing job, either on staff at a hospital or practice? How does that even work? So medical school um, in the U.S. is typically four years after undergrad. Mm -hmm. So then you graduate medical school and you have your degree, your MD degree, but to practice in the U.S., you have to do a a residency program. And so that can be anywhere from like three to seven years, depending on the specialty. So for me, I did a residency in internal medicine, which was a three-year residency to then become a subspecialist in hematology oncology. I did a three-year fellowship then it's after that, that you're eligible to take your board exams and become what's called board certified in your specialty and subspecialty. And then, yeah, to actually get hired somewhere. And uh, uh, I did the math. Is that 10 years post? Yeah. So for me, that was uh, 10 years post mm-hmm. undergrad. Yes. Right, right, right. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So you do that. So now I'm really going to do math because you said you were in your 40s and then you said you started writing about six years ago. So you're practicing medicine. You finally, you're, the ride is stopped. You're getting <laughs> off. You're like, okay, here I come. And then you need a little connection back somewhere. Is that what I heard? Yeah, I think that's really a great way to put it. So basically, you know, if you go straight through, um, which a lot of people um, don't do that traditional path. I just want to mention like some people Mm -hmm. are working and then choosing to go to medical school, like in their thirties or forties. But if you go straight through, like I did basically, um, you know, all of your twenties and into your early thirties is basically taken up with your medical training. And then as you kind of, I think are alluding to like this long path, I mean, you really sort of get in this mindset of like lifelong learning and, and I didn't stay in academics. I went into community practice, but a lot of people stay in academics and then their career is constantly about finding the next grant. But I wanted to really practice clinically and take care of patients. And so I went into community practice and then, you know, sort of the next 10 years of my life were like my early practice and starting a family. Um, I was going to say, I was going to, I was going to sprinkle in the, I got married and started a family. (laughs) Wow. 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 Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. So for me, which is, um, I just found a little bit unusual around compared to my peers, at least, you know, 20 some years ago when I was going through this, like actually, uh, my husband and I have been together since, um, before I went to medical school and Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then we actually got married at the end of, so I was at the end of medical school. And like, before you start your residency, you kind of have like this little, little window of time to like do Mm -hmm. some like real life things. So we got married (laughs) and, um, here's an idea. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then I had our first child when I was in my first year of fellowship training. Sorry, I have to think about it because it's been Mm -hmm. so many years now. Mm -hmm. I just always want to give kudos to my husband more than kudos, but I mean, he's been my support, uh, you know, throughout all this. And so watching it uh, happen, it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. It really isn't. And it's not easy when there's just two people involved, but then when we bring that extra little human in there and and (laughs) decide that was fun, let's do that again, uh, you know, and then there might be more, they might multiply like, like rabbits. It's a lot because We all have the same 24 hours to deal with life and watch what happens, um, swat away, I'll say whatever (laughs) life, life brings to us. And then add your little extra level, your element of it's not an easy for the faint of heart type occupation that you chose. And that's enough. And then go a little step further for, I think I'm going to do oncology and, and he, because that is, then I can really get into the, the treating of, like, there's no doubt about that you are treating patients. Yeah. Mm, yes, kudos, very true. big kudos. So I can definitely see how you don't have to be that practicing physician, but you could just be in a job that really pulls at you. That's that ways. And do you first find writing almost as a little relief, a little, you know, like when your Instapot is done, when you press down on the little pressure button to, to release the, uh, the, is it, is it kind of an escape? Yeah, that's a great metaphor. It, um, it is for me, it is an outlet. And mm-hmm. you might have seen if you looked at some of my nonfiction writing the mm-hmm. um, past several years, like I um, have written some about burnout in medicine and just being a woman in medicine and all these things you were just alluding to. And yeah. it actually, for me, a few years back, back culminated. And so I, um, I am pretty open now about talking about my experience with physician burnout, which I did actually end up leaving the practice of medicine for a year, which it was actually just before the pandemic. I was going to say, it sounded like it was before it was uh, actually before the norm. I want to say before the, Oh, of course we understand. So then I want to say it was before people understood question mark? Did they look at you? And yeah, it was. And I have to say, like, I myself didn't even understand what was happening. And Mm. and now I've spoken to so many other physicians and, you know, seen things that other people have written that had a very similar experience. Like, it's very hard to describe, but you just feel like something's wrong with you and you don't know what's wrong, but you can't do what you were doing anymore. You did like, for me, it was like this epiphany, like, something is broken and I don't know what it is, but it's not good. 
Mm. It's not good for my patients. It's not good for my family. And I had like just enough insight to sort of know that on some level. And you're the common denominator. Yes, exactly. Now, you exactly. just said it's not good for my patients and yeah. it's not good for my family. Who? Yeah. So all roads are pointing to Jennifer, which yeah. you had that insight. Yeah. To be honest, part of that time is kind of fuzzy, like the sort of discussions that led to that decision. And I, I wrote about this for actually, I have a little excerpt in a book about physician burnout, where I wrote about just like, I, I just had this knowledge that like, I have to leave to come back. Mm. But I, I didn't say that to anyone because I didn't know how to say it. And I was worried they wouldn't understand. Wow. So I allowed this framing to happen around me that I honestly really regret now, but at the time it felt safe. Like mm -hmm. I allowed this framing for people to say, oh, she wants to take time off and spend time with her family. And mm. like, yes, that was true, but that wasn't the yeah. root of it. That was the but, number three reason, three yeah, A. Right. But yeah. there was less, there was less stigma and like uh, mm. people in medicine, like a accepted that much more readily. So I basically took a year long, what we ended up calling a sabbatical. I was um, going to say. Really diving into writing and working with a life coach, which to me, I had never heard of before and would have thought, you know, even probably a year before, like, what is this woo-woo stuff? Mm -hmm. Yes. And then the most wild thing was like six months into the year off the, uh, the pandemic happened it really crystallized everything for me. Like, I want to be a physician. Like, I want to go back. Like, mm. here is like the, you know, medical crisis of our lifetime, like this global crisis. And I was like, yeah. I'm not practicing. Like, it felt really awful, actually, to be away. I was curious yeah. to see where your mindset was. And, and forgetting that it was pre-pandemic, yeah. that... When you say you have the year off, like anything, when you're not in a good place and then the end of the vacation is coming and you start the dread or <laughs> for me, I know when I had my third son and my kids are adults, so 27 years ago, but I didn't want to go back to work, but I had to. And there's a very big difference there. And as it's, you know, as he's six weeks and tick tock. And this angry new mom is, you know, having to, and I did because you have to do what you have to yeah. do at the time. But I was just curious to see where your mindset were like, and maybe the pandemic helped, as you say, definitely bring it into focus much clearer that you did want it. It's almost like you got the first bus out to <laughs> get yourself mentally ahead of the game because yeah. I would think because of the pandemic, now you hear about physician burnout. Now it can yeah. be the reason that people step away. Yeah, it's so true. And one of the amazing things that's come out of it is because, and I, and first I just want to say, I want to acknowledge my privilege too, that I had this successful career and I had savings mm -hmm. and I could afford to step away mm -hmm. for a while. That's obviously, there's a lot of privilege in that, but because I was able to do that and I sort of went on this journey for myself of 
Like it wasn't until like a couple months after I left that I was like, oh, I have burnout. <laughs> it sounds so obvious now. Um, it, it's so easy, but you know, when your face is like smushed up against the mirror yeah, and you can't see, you're like, I don't know oh, what I the hell, that. what is that? I can't even figure it out. And then when you just take one or two steps back and you're like, oh, hello. Yeah. yeah, I love that. That's so true. There's so much discussion in the burnout space. And, you know, so many people doing incredible work in this space. But one of the things that I was able to do and that I think I've tried to help others is that, of course, working on yourself is not going to fix the the systemic mm -hmm. and structural problems. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Basically, like one of the things that really happens when you're burned out is you lose your agency. And so it was about like, rediscovering your agency that helps you cope with the broken systems. What do you, you mean by agency? I'm just trying to put that into context. Yeah, so basically that even if the system around you is broken, mm. that you still are in control of your own actions gotcha. and setting, setting your boundaries. Mm, okay. And I think, you know, a lot of, I think for women, like a lot of us discover in midlife, right. That we, we never mm -hmm. learn how to set boundaries. <laughs> well, you know what? We discover a lot. And if we are privileged as you, it's always a privilege to get into the space, get into our forties and then take that time to be like, all right, I've got nothing to prove to anyone else except myself. Yeah. And that's when you really start to shift it and find yourself. And that's when I know for me, I can only speak for me for sure. That was, you know, the magic time where I was someone's mom for a thousand years, but that's all I ever wanted to be. That was my, one of my driving goals in life was to be a mother, of course. Yeah. But then I soon realized, hmm, okay, wait, but I still want to do this and I still want to do that. And I am still me, but no one is seeing me for me. They're saying, oh, you know, Marissa's mom, Jeanette's mom. Yep. Uh-huh. That's don't have any other name until <laughs> until you're like, hey, hello there. I think I recognize you. And when you take the time and put yourself first, and it really sets such a great message to our children, because guess what? I, I, the world does not revolve around them. Because the world went on before they came here, and that and do and do we love them? Of course we do. Do we want to teach them and show them everything they're capable? Absolutely, positively, it doesn't revolve around them. People, we all are important, and we might not realize the ripple effect, but they're always watching. So, kudos. Oh well, thank you. That just brought to mind. Like I, I have a funny story I like to tell about when I told my three kids that I'd be uh -huh. stopping work. And uh -huh. um, so, gosh, okay. So this, you know, was several years ago. So they would have been like one elementary school, one middle school and one early high school. Uh -huh. And so the youngest child was very excited. Like, yay, mm -hmm. mom's going to be home mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the middle child just kind of shrugged. Yeah, <laughs> as middles child, do. Uh -huh. yeah. uh -huh. And the older child was like, Oh, Wait, you're going to be around more? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so, what? Like, just, it's very good typical. News. <laughs> yeah, very typical for their ages, which I just, yeah. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, not good news. But I'm sure, like I said, it's something that 
and it has a different effect on all of them. If you have any siblings and bring gather everybody later in years and ask them how they were raised and you would swear everyone was raised individually in different households because it's the effect they'd had on them (laughs) at the time. And as much joy as it was for the younger one, the older one's like, damn, there goes my, you know, routine. It's routine, but that's great. That's a, I like that story. So out of all of that, out of the ashes, the Phoenix rises in the form of the book. So first title of the book. It's the algorithm will see you now. Clever, clever. Obviously it has to do with AI. Yes. Yes. Artificial. And that is my new, uh, yeah, I've, I've just jumped down the rabbit hole. I didn't have to fall down the rabbit hole. I dove down the rabbit hole. It's so interesting because every day it just keeps changing and more people are jumping in and it can do all of this. And so a month ago I was on vacation. So I actually had some extra time and I'm like, you know, let me check out this chat GPT that everybody's talking about. Early on, very, very early on. It wasn't even like chat 4.0 yet. It wasn't yeah. anything. So <laughs> it was when you can actually get on it and ask questions yeah, yeah. <laughs> and have it do things before you get locked out. So I sat one afternoon and I had blog posts written. I had journal prompts all together. And I'm like, oh my God. Oh, like, I just wanted to scream from the root. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> Holy, but I'm only thinking of it from my standpoint. Now, can it do a thousand other things? I'm sure it can, but Stephanie just wants to know these things. That's all I want to (laughs) know. So you take that and within literally 30 days, probably 45 days, it's really just (laughs) exploded to I don't even know who's on top of it or who can even explain where it's at now. So how long did it take you to write this book? Because where was your idea of AI yeah. At the time, I AI's only been on my radar, like I say, for less than two months. So where does it yeah. come into you? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I started writing it at the end of 2016. So it was, you know, huh. well before all this current mm-hmm. GPT and so forth. And because I'm an oncologist, like actually I was aware that going back actually to the 2010s, mm-hmm. there was a lot of hype about IBM's Watson Health and, and mm-hmm. a lot of people know Watson as you know Watson was the AI that like they mm-hmm. uh, put on Jeopardy and so Correct. forth. But they, they actually had a healthcare Watson, and I think excellent intent because uh, where the field of oncology is going and has been going and, and is currently is what's called precision medicine, which means that nowadays run what we call a genomic profile, like on the biopsies from the tumors. And we get these reports with, you know, they check for hundreds of different mutations in the DNA. And right now there's, you know, only unfortunately like a handful that we know, like we can target with certain medications. But when we find those, I mean, it can, it can make a drastic difference in people's care. So we test everybody for that nowadays. And just to kind of frame it a little bit. So like the way we practice in oncology is still like we practice like we're in the 1950s. Like we aren't given clinic time to like review this data. 
we still practice where like our entire day is scheduled with our patients, our people, and then all this data review we're doing on our you know own time in the evenings because um, mm-hmm. like the technology has evolved and the medical knowledge, but the like way we practice is still dated. Right. And so, so understandably, they're like, well, what if AI could like do mm. all this analysis for the oncologist? And actually in the back of the book, I talk about this in all my sources. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was some ex- excellent tech reporting, like in um, Stat News and Slate. And I, there's some of those are referenced if anyone wants to like find those articles. But basically they were data mining to get the data for the AI from charts. And mm. they found that the, the AI, it just, it really didn't do what they wanted it to do to make a long story short. And so it ended up, the whole project just gradually just like fizzled out and they lost a ton of money on it, of course. So like all of this was going on like so, a decade ago. Like ahead, like like so ahead of its time. Yeah. Who even knew it was that part of it? Like we knew yeah. Watson, but we knew Watson from Jeopardy. Yeah. So it's in your world. You're familiar with it. It's not something that parachuted down. And you know the effects that it could have on medicine and on your practice, but on on just the way the patients are seen and possibly their roadmap is determined and what have you. Then along comes the idea for the book and curious talk more, please. It's so funny to talk about because, and I feel like this is where the me of like a decade ago would be like, what is she talking about? But people talk about like a writing muse. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like that was kind of just what happened. Like I got this idea for a story And I think also because when I was younger, like I read tons of thrillers, Mm -hmm. you know, Robin Cook, Michael Crichton, Mm -hmm. John Grisham, Mm -hmm. like, so just sort of like steeped in these thrillers. Right. And I had this interest in like what was happening with this AI. And then, you know, I had my personal lived experience with, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, the past decade of the rise of the insurance behemoths and their Mm -hmm. control over what physicians can even do and how often we have to fight with them. So you have these ideas and I give you a lot of credit to be like, yes, I'm going to write. Now, not the first time that you sat and wrote because for your work, perhaps you've written journal papers or, you know, you're being published on some studies and you started with essays. And then along comes a book is a huge, A, it's a commitment. I mean, did you wake up one day to say, I can string this outline together and, you know, tie Um, it up? Did you write a little story? Like I'm I'm visual, so that's why I haven't written anything yet. But I would think that, especially in the thriller genre of, hey, wouldn't it be cool if this is what happens? And then what was your process? um So I guess, you know, I had this idea about looking at like, okay, Watson failed, but someone's Mm going to be working on the next thing. Mm -hmm. What if the next one is better, but then it's not the technology that's the problem, it's the people behind it. Mm -hmm. And then I had this idea for my main character. So like a lot of my early essays, actually, I wrote a lot about hope and the different forms of hope and just, it was a very personal exploration, like in my practice and my own life, this is probably going to sound like a little bit like a trope, but like, I just had this idea, like my character, she, she was a young doctor and her name is hope, but she doesn't really believe in hope. 
So then I started thinking about like, well, what made her that way? And like, what was her drive like to go into medicine? And she's like a big believer in the AI. And then the story just kind of came from there. And writers talk about being whether you're a plotter, which means like you outline and you know the whole plot mm-hmm, before mm-hmm, you start, mm-hmm. or being a pantser, which means you write by the seat of your pants. And <laughs> I, I am just a pantser, I, which is probably why it took, took me so long, right? Because also the process of writing this book as my first book was like an exploration of how to write a book. Mm-hmm, and, and so, I mean, just countless, countless revisions, but it, I was you know, I felt like I was learning and improving my craft the whole time. And so like those two concepts just kind of came together, like putting this character into this situation and then what could happen. And then it all just kind of happened from there. (laughs) So I like that there's a word and and in the verbiage of pantser, I'm going to keep that. Thank you for that. Only because everyone forgets everything we know we've learned. One of the things that drove me to start this podcast is we forget that, as a matter of fact, I I had a camera for my laptop that I was putting in earlier today, and it came with this little pullout list of instructions in six different languages for a little camera for (laughs) my laptop. And yet we bring these humans into the world with nothing. With absolute, like, listen to the nurse. Uh, my mother passed when I was pregnant with my first daughter. So oh, I, so yes, sorry. exactly. Therefore, exa- it was, you know, okay, mother. that one was hard. Wonderful mother-in-law, lucky. But who do you listen to? What book do you read? And now in this day and age, it, there was a lot on TikTok. And I'm like, mm-hmm. do you want to listen to the randos on TikTok? I mean, I like TikTok like anybody else, but... <laughs> Do we even know who they are? They have usernames. Do we even know who are these people? <laughs> it's so true. And a lot of people um, say that if you're a writer, you have to write every day. But I do find, just like you were saying, like there's a little part of my brain that's just like always working mm-hmm. on it. And mm-hmm. so sometimes I'll get a little idea. Like a lot of times it's the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, it could be during the workday. And I just put it in the notes app on my phone. Yep. Um, yep. Because I've I've learned, like a lot of people, like it, it, even you think it's the best idea in the world. There's no way you could ever forget this incredible idea. You'll forget it. Oh, you forget <laughs> so, it. Yeah. So I've learned, like, yeah, yeah I, just, I just have this little running... Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I have several different ones, like I what I'm working on currently, or like, oh, that I have a list of like, oh, this could be like a good essay idea. This could mm-hmm. be a good short story idea. So I just kind of keep that all going in my phone. So, so you take advantage yeah. when you see that little comet of yes. genius go by. <laughs> You're like, oh, let me just write that. I do this absolutely the same. I mean, if someone ever went through my phone, but I don't think it's just, you know, I don't think it's just us. Believe me, yeah. I think a lot of people, there was... So much coming at us, you know, this is 24 seven total stimulation and our bandwidth is designed really for this much, not this much. And to decide what stays, what goes, Ooh, wait, but like, you know, the buffet on the conveyor belt, let me just grab that one before it passes. That's how you have to do it. It's a smart way to go. So what happens as the story is getting complete and the edits are happening and you're picking like a book cover and this is like getting real? How was that process? I was very fortunate that in 2019, I applied to a fiction mentorship program called Pitch Wars. Mm -hmm. And it comes from 
book pitch, like when you're wanting to get published, you have to pitch your book a lot to agents or publishers. And so Mm -hmm. it was a program to help people who, you know, were new to the writing world and had no idea how to do any of that, which I was definitely Mm -hmm. in that Mm -hmm. boat. So I saw it online and I applied on a whim, like thinking, oh, there's no way I'd ever get selected for this. Like what I'm like a... Who am I after all? Yeah. I'm like a mid forties year old woman. I'm just some doctor. (laughs) I just wrote a book. I don't even know if it's a book. Go on. And then it was a, I mean, I still feel so fortunate that I did get selected and basically uh, everyone who was selected gets paired one-on-one with a mentor who's either like... uh, a published author or someone in the publishing industry. And then after you spend your three months doing this like mad pace of revision, then they have what they called like a showcase where you put your pitch for your book up there Mm -hmm. and then literary agents look at it and contact you if they're interested. And then, you know, like in a Hollywood ending, you uh, get a huge book deal and become, you know, the next uh, Stephen King or whatever. But that uh, did not happen to me. So, uh, our did not happen uh, to me yet is okay, really okay. the sentence. So it didn't happen to me yet. That's where you put the period. You, oh. you may continue now. Go on. It didn't happen yet. It was okay that I didn't mm-hmm. get published out of that because I made so many connections and this mm. whole writing community, all these, like before that, my world was really confined to medicine. Like, because as we talked about, like you're training is so long, all these intense years, like just your friends and your peers, Mm -hmm. everyone's in that world. It was just so amazing and fun to meet people outside of that world. And uh, there are people like that, basically, we all became like what we call critique partners for each other, like we're still in touch today, and we bounce things off each other. Mm -hmm. And it takes a village. It does. It does. And and it's like when you're trying to learn this whole different industry that, um, trying to figure out the publishing industry, like coming from the world of medicine. <laughs> I mean, I still don't think I figured it out. But for a few years, I um, I did this process called querying, where you try to you mm-hmm. know find an agent who might want to represent your book. And, you know, that never quite panned out. But I, I shifted gears. I thought, well, you know, maybe I can find a small publisher. And mm. so then I went the small publisher route. And that's how I got my publishing deal. Go. So timely. I mean, there's no coincidence. And I think it's so interesting that, again, from your idea from six years ago, Mm -hmm. where it was AI was in your realm, and Mm -hmm. and perhaps if I was a doctor, it would have been in mine. But the rest of the world, this is like, so timely. The the whole algorithm, the whole where medicine is, it's almost like it really needed to take its time to get out there because if it was ahead of its time or what we thought was ahead of its time, just as like you taking your sabbatical, wow, she was ahead of her time. (laughs) It's so interesting, the timing of it. And we're having this conversation when I'm, you know, two months into my AI journey and, and the algorithm will see you now. Yeah. It's absolutely it <laughs> here. So just, it's funny, a side note, I was uh, speaking with this other uh, guest on a previous episode, Lachelle, and Lachelle is a business coach. And she said that someone had told her that it's really who you know, because those people that you know, who might have walked in your shoes ahead of you mm-hmm. can really shorten 
the learning curve and really mm-hmm. give you that concise and save you time to get to your end game and hence your circle of people and your what started out perhaps as queries. But everyone I'm sure was at different levels and different stages. And someone said, hey, oh, here's what happened when I tried to do that and can help you out a little as opposed to we can all do anything. We can find anything we want. We all have a Google. We oh, Listen to me, mm-hmm. a Google. How old can I be? <laughs> we all have Google in a search bar. All right, I'm going to be 62. But anyway, <laughs> at least not this time I even know how old I was. I started the year <laughs> off like one of my first episodes and I'm talking and I'm like, and I don't know if I said 60, I, I wouldn't say I'm older. So I'd say maybe I said going to be 61 and I'm going on and on. I'm like, oh my God, wait a minute. How old am I? I'm like, this year I'm going to be 62. Yeah, I can't even keep track. But yeah, it really, it takes a village and it really helps to have any type of community and everybody is in different places. And it's a type of thing where there's no jealousy or envy or, oh, wow, they already, they can talk. They have three books. You want to talk to that person. How did you do it? What do you, what would you do again? If you had to do it, if you had to start again today, what would you change? And just to save the time of that. So where do we find the book? Yeah. So the book is out in paperback and ebook. So mm-hmm. ebook is on Kindle. So mm-hmm. it, it is uh, free on Kindle Unlimited always if you have that, um, but mm-hmm. uh, otherwise on Kindle. And then paperback, basically wherever books are sold. So Amazon, okay. Barnes and Noble, or you can order it through your favorite uh, indie bookseller. Excellent. We always like that too. And what else? I know. I'm hoping this isn't the only work that we're going to see from you. Well, it's actually very exciting that my second book actually um, th- uh, through the same publisher is coming out this November. And so it's it- already completed. Yeah. So because again, you know, I started writing the algorithm, we'll see you now six years ago. And then there was a um, time mm-hmm. after pitch wars and, and in the pandemic and everything when I was like, nobody's interested in medical tomorrow's right now. So I, I set it aside and I, and everyone says the best thing you can do uh, is just start writing the next book. So I started there writing the next oh, book. Oh, I love it. So, I I, love so it. that was about three years ago. And it's actually a prequel to the algorithm. We'll see you now. And it is called the committee will kill you now. And it is a little bit darker story. I mean, some people have said like when they've read the algorithm that they're like, wow, you write about the dark side of medicine. And I'm like, yes, I do. (laughs) But and this one goes, the antagonist in the algorithm, her name is Dr. Mara Maddox. And this is her origin story, like what happened Mm -hmm. to her back in Mm -hmm. the 1990s. The algorithm is set in Seattle. And this one's also set in Seattle in the 1990s. And it goes in into really the dark history of medical training and content warning um, physician suicide. And it's interwoven with a real life historical medicine that I actually only discovered in research for the first book, which is the true life history of the rationing of the first kidney dialysis in Seattle in the 1960s. But yeah, it was really sort of like my pandemic project, like deep dive research, like I want to forget mm-hmm. about everything, <laughs> you know, like a lot of us, I think had these 10 yeah. projects. Yeah. yeah what so better way, right? Yeah. What better way to yeah. stay? Look what came out of it. 
yeah. in less than six years. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, well, something, something very much to be proud of. And again, these are mm-hmm. achievements of things you wanted to achieve as far you, you chose, um, you know, the career in, in medicine, you fell back in love with it. But in addition, at the same time, while you were, you know, seeing falling back in love with medicine, you were also falling in love with this. And there can be ands. There's not just a one size only declare at 18 what you're going to go to school for, what you're going to be the rest of your life. And then that's it. Oh, that drives me crazy. I've been a thousand things and I've worked in a thousand things and I've created a lot of different things and I'm nowhere close to being done. I love I how you put that. That's so beautiful. And it just made me think of something um, my life coach said to me once is, um, so one of the things I struggled with, with the burnout is that how can I love what I do and love being a physician mm. so much, yet how can the system be so horrible? Like mm-hmm. I couldn't reconcile those two things in my mind. And she said to me, well, Jennifer, can both things be true? And it was like, what? Like, yeah. how yeah. dare you? Like, changed my whole worldview like that you know because that's what we're that's what we're fed and or yep pick one choose wisely choose why choose wisely you know like like wow this blows let me just keep moving on to the i always wanted to do this let me see oh boy that's overrated let me never do that again that's how you learn as the lifelong (laughs) learner Absolutely. Well, we look forward to the release of the second one as well. This has been so interesting and so exciting. And thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing this story. A, your story that morphed into then this book. And now we have a second one coming and people will hear what you have to say. That's what I love. Well, it's been so fun to talk with you and I thank you again for the opportunity. And absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So where are we going to find you? Where do you hang out? My website is just my name, jenniferlysette.com. And you can find all my links on there. I'm on Twitter at JL underscore Lysette. Also, I have a Facebook author page that is also JL Lysette author. And then um, I'm on a few other places as well, like LinkedIn and Mastodon. And most everywhere is JL underscore Lysette, but you can always just look okay. at my website, jenniferlysette.com. Okay. So the name of the book again is called The Algorithm Will See You Now. And then in the end of the year, there'll be the other one. But I'm not going to say that again because yeah. we're not. And out actually, yet. by the time this podcast is aired, which uh-huh. uh, if it's June, um, mm-hmm. the yeah, pre orders might be out actually in June for the. Okay. So the second one, book so. is going to be yeah. called, say that again then. I'm sorry. The committee will kill you now. <laughs> oh, God, that's a good title. <laughs> I want to say, pun intended, killer title. All right, everybody, another good one. And yes, you're welcome. They just keep coming. I don't know how I got to be so lucky. I don't, but keep it coming is all I'm going to say. Let us know what you think, joyfoundhere.com. Those comments and who can relate, I think we all can. 
five star reviews. So five, you hit all five stars when you click on either the Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening. If the, the review option is there, totally, totally appreciate. Click on the five. Anything left to keep walking. Don't even bother with the keyboard with that. Until next time, thank you for coming back every week. Thank you for all of your support and be well. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Joy Found Here podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And of course, if you haven't already done so, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to head over to joyfoundhere.com for any questions, comments, and feedback. Until next week, keep your head up and your crown straight. You've got this.